want to present ourselves rightly. Thanks, brother. Uh, we have members, okay? The Bible speaks of kind of our appendages as members, our, you know, our, our hands and our feet and our ears and our eyes, or as my old children's tape that I used to listen to used to say it, eyes and ears and mouth and nose, right? Head and shoulders, knees and toes, right? Knees and toes. Uh, so, you know, we've got all these body parts that are now to be, they used to be presented to obey sinful lusts and passions. Um, but now they're to be presented to the Lord as acts of worship. As Romans chapter 12 says, now we present our body to the Lord as living sacrifices, which is a reasonable uh, service. The priests in the Old Testament serve as an example of presenting their members as living sacrifices in the book of Exodus. They would take blood from the altar and they would uh, take blood of the ram and they would put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron on the right of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hand on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood on the altar. And it was just a symbol of kind of like ear, thumb, toe, kind of the whole body being offered up as a sacrifice to the Lord. And so now that's what we do. We present our members to the Lord, not as things that can now sin willy nilly and have the freedom to just do whatever they want. But now we're free to use these members as worship to the Lord. Um, one man said, when we realize our freedom is in Christ, we can be around the people and the things that used to enslave us and have freedom. We often demonize things when really it's our heart and our abuse of something or someone. And so now we can look at it or that and say, you have no power over me anymore. That's the beauty of the gospel. That doesn't mean we just go willy nilly wherever without wisdom. Galatians says, consider yourself lest you also be stumbled. But it does mean that we don't idolize those things anymore, good or bad. They don't have power over us. And so we're able to rebuke it with authority in the name of the Lord. And so instead we present ourselves to God in a powerful way, just like we've risen from the dead. And there's a promise for us in verse 14 that sin shall not have dominion over you for you're not under the law, but under grace. So now we put ourselves in this fighting stance. We don't let, so, you know, it's kind of, I don't know much about self-defense, um, clearly, but uh, I did do P90X Kempo Cardio and uh, I learned about the Starblocks, right? And I've never been in a situation, although sometimes my kids try to swap me and, whoa, oh, what's up? You know, and uh, they back off after the Starblocks, right? Um, so Romans chapter six puts us in that defensive stance, star blocking, not letting sin rule, not obeying, not putting ourselves in a submissive position to sin because uh, it can't have power over us anymore. We're not under the law. We're not under the law that had no power for obedience, but we're under the, the law of grace, the law of liberty, which has freedom and power, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's based on verse 14, what he's only and already done for us. We're not under the law, but we're under grace. And we go from slaves to sin to slaves to God. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. So 
there's an objection that's raised again the second time in this chapter. Uh, the message that people struggle sometimes with grace because they think that grace is a license to sin. And so a lot of people struggle with that and want to put rules on people. You know, oh, we've got to have rules on people or else they're just going to go crazy and just start living the licentious life. But the beautiful thing about grace is that when truly understood and truly meditated upon, grace makes us not want to sin uh, because we see how much he's done for us. We want to respond with heartfelt obedience, not because a, a rule has been put on us. Chapter six, verse one showed the question earlier. Uh, it was a question of sinning in order to gain more grace. Whereas verse 15 is a question of sinning because of grace. Shall we sin because we're under grace? And it's almost hypothetical, but Paul answers it for us. Um, certainly not, or God forbid it. And it says why here. It's really a, a practicality. Don't you know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves that you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So um, don't you know, verse three says the same thing. Don't you know, anybody familiar with the gospel ought to know this. And the summary is just this. You belong to the power that you choose to obey. So if you obey the temptation to lie, or if you obey the temptation to get drunk, or if you obey the temptation to lust or steal or cheat or finagle or to manipulate, then you've given into that and it gets more power over you every time, every time there's more power, there's more power, but you begin even one time to obey righteousness. The temptation comes and you hit the deck on your knees and you cry out for the grace of the Lord Jesus. It loses its power. You're now a slave to righteousness. And a slave to righteousness, and again, and a slave to righteousness again. Whoever, it's a great principle, really, isn't it? Anyone familiar with this? Second um, Peter puts it great, and I think I have it on the screen, but Second uh, Peter 2.19 says, For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So in the two powers of sin or obedience... Who, what's overcoming you at any given moment? You're brought into obedience or bondage by whatever you submit to. So submit to the Lord. In fact, isn't it Peter that says, submit to God and the devil will flee? So, submit to the Lord. So he's addressing Christians here. Um, he wouldn't have any of the tomfoolery of hereditary sin. You know, like, oh, I'm Irish. It's just what the Irish do, you know, or... Or, you know, I'm Cherokee and we've always been, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, no, he says, you know, you're either a, a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. It's pretty simple. And you need to choose which power you're going to obey. Uh, and so there's two ways to present yourself within willing slavery. Willing slavery. Uh, it reminds me of Deuteronomy and, and just that principle of the bond slave and and during the year of Jubilee, a slave had the opportunity to be set free. But if he loved his master and he had wives and kids there at that farm or whatever it may be, he could willingly go to the doorpost of the house and say, I love my master and I choose for the rest of my life to be his servant. And they would take him to the doorpost and they would thrust the languages. It's pretty graphic, you know, 
thrust and all through his ear. So, Willem, if you've been wanting to get gauges lately in your ears, I mean, you have a biblical precept, all right? So, Jake, we can talk about it later, you know. Um, But, you know, in a sense, it was like the gauge of the, you know, 5000 BC, you know, um, and all in the ear. So when people would see, it's like the wedding ring. It's the sign of the covenant that I love my master and I choose to be with him. That's why Paul would call himself a bondservant, a bondservant of the Lord of righteousness. And we too, as Christians, submit in a willing slavery to obedience to righteousness. The two powers of sin and obedience are not friendly opponents, but they're violent competitors. Look at the description. A slave to sin leads in death. The death of God's glory in your life. The death of your soul in what Revelation calls the second death, hell. It'll end in your marriage uh, ending or your family or your career being gone. But a slave to righteousness leads to life and innocence and glory and eternal life. In my notes, I have two blank spots that would say, I have been a slave of blank leading to death or I've been a slave of blank leading to righteousness. And just yesterday I was out on my deck reading through my notes and just praying over the Lord. I want to be a slave of of prayer leading to righteousness. I want to be a slave of, um, you know, fleeing temptation leading to righteousness. I want to be a slave of um, being in your word and delighting in the law of the Lord. And um, I want to be a slave to evangelism. You know, I want to just, I want to do these things uh, that lead to life. But we can't serve both powers at the same time. Uh, when a believer sins, number one, they either repent of this cloud of sin marring their relationship with the Lord. Or number two, they'll shut out people and re- relationships and realities of biblical truth. F.F. Bruce said, if a man is not being sanctified, or that means being made holy and more and more being departing from the ways of the world, he has no reason to suppose that he is justified. So it's just a good question looking at your life. What's the sanctification level, the sanctification factor? Douglas Moo uh, it's been said Douglas Moo wrote the book on Romans, um, the big old thick commentary that you would, would get on Romans. But Moo says, the freedom of the Christian is not freedom to do what one wants, but freedom to obey God willingly, joyfully, naturally. And then he quotes Calvin. Obedience, Calvin says, is the mother of true knowledge of God. And so it's just one thing, you know, and, and, Jesus says in Matthew 7 that we're able to tell trees by their fruits. And that's true, too, of people. You know, are people born again, you know, and it's you can tell by the tree, by the fruits, by their obedience level, if it's questionable or if it's absolutely, you know, as much as I can tell from this side of things, this person is a bona fide, genuine believer. Um, Or of course, we would examine ourselves, the New Testament says, to see if we are of the faith. Verse 17 in Romans 6. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So what Ken taught on last week was 
um, baptism is this great picture of the death of a believer to sin and the new life. When you come up out of the waters of baptism, it's a picture of alive in Christ Jesus. And Alistair Begg spoke of it as um, kind of there's two volumes in the story of our life. Volume one is our BC days, you know, our before Jesus days. And when we're baptized in the waters of baptism, it's the closing of volume one. We're showing the world, you know, if you've ever watched a really long, um, you know, play, like actually Ben-Hur would be an example. It's like the two disc series, you know, and you know, there's the overture in the middle, you know, between, it's so funny. I don't even know why they had those. It's like, yeah, oh, go get some popcorn in the middle of the movie, you know, and come back later. Um, but that's what baptism is. It's, it's the swapping out of discs and you go to disc two and the new disc tells the story of uh, redemption, volume two. And so verse 17, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, that was volume one. Now you obey from the heart, that form of doctrine uh, to which you were delivered. That's uh, volume two. So this is something that caused Paul to break out in doxology or praise. God be thanked. It's good news that there may be enslavement to a passion that's leading to death. But even right now, you can respond to the gospel of grace and obey the Lord and you will have resurrection in your life. As John the Baptist cried out, repent, the time has come, believe in the gospel. There was a a pastor who had a gal in the church uh, who had just gotten saved and uh, she was starting to get plugged into fellowship and, and walking in the light and walking in truth and walking in holiness. And one of her old friends called her up and invited her out to do all the things that they used to do in volume one, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the gal just kind of ho-hummed around and wasn't excited about it. Didn't really want to go out, you know, on the town and do those things. And as the conversation went on, uh, the, the old friend from volume one said, you know what, this doesn't even sound like the Marion I used to know. And she said, that's what it is. I'm not the old Marion that you used to know. Lindsay and I actually grew up, uh, in Climate Falls together, we were in the same first and second grade class. And so, yeah, isn't that precious? Mm, got a picture of it. And uh, later on, um, when you know, we'd moved and gone our separate ways and when we um, came together and started dating, she ran into one of our old classmates from our childhood. And, and the guy, not a Christian, is just like, oh yeah, so you know, you and Rory go out and party and this and that. and. Yeah, get drunk and this and that. and uh, he's like, no, he's a pastor. Like we don't do those things. And and uh, this guy Nick goes, that doesn't sound like the Rory I used to know. And first of all, I only knew him in like first and second grade. So you know, we weren't exactly living the life of uh, you know out on the town with the party crowd. Um, but he's right; it's not the Rory he used to know. There's a new Rory, right? And uh, Saint Augustine, if you know Saint Augustine's story. He had a really horrible uh, sexual past of immorality. And after his conversion, he was walking down the street when one of the old mistresses called out to him and said, uh, uh, was standing there and she said, uh, Augustine, it is I, remember? And he said, yes, my dear, but it is no longer I. And uh, that's the hope of the gospels. It's no longer I right? Um, it's, it's now a life for Jesus. The things I love, there's an old poem, the things I loved have gone away and things I love far more are here to stay when I gave myself to Christ. Verse 18, 
And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So there's this radical change in the Christian life. Uh, We now obey the gospel. We're slaves of righteousness. As Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. As Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things that I say? Uh, One writer put it this way. You've been released from the army, discharged from your old unit and uniform and your old commanding officer. And you have a new army, a new uniform, a new commanding officer. You can't go back and serve the old army. You wear the new uniform. So we're now slaves to the beauty of righteousness. In verse 19, I speak in in Herman terms, (laughs) human terms, speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Um, The Phillips translation says, uh, I use an everyday illustration because human nature grasps truth more readily that way. In other words, here's some layman's terms for, um, for the regular individual so we can understand this. So here's the regular language in the second half of verse 19. For just as you presented yourselves as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Does anybody remember those days in their life? Just like you present yourselves to that, you know, you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is you would give yourself over to that, you know, or just that's what you look forward to in the evening. That's what you live for. Everybody's working for the weekend. They're not talking about church in that song. I don't know if you know, you know, can't wait for Sunday, you know, um, you know, uh, but they're looking forward to Friday night, right? Um, It's a good Brooks and Dunn song about that, you know. Fire up my pickup truck in the door. Okay, but he, where's he going? He's heading on down to uh, do the boot scoot boogie on a Friday night, right? Not that that's bad. You know, we all love a good boot scoot, but it's the boogie part that I don't think is um, biblical. No, I'm joking. Uh, and so no longer do we uh, live for that, present ourselves for that, loving and wanting to do the wicked things, but we have this giving ourselves to righteousness Uh, It's not a suggestion, uh, but it's a command for us. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And I think this is part of the, the layman's terms. I think this is part of the everyday language. And I think it's helpful for me because I don't read good, you know, or whatever. Uh, So listen to this again. When you were slaves of sin, you were free from righteousness. Now, that's a horrible thought. What a horrible concept. Like, oh, thank goodness I don't have to do good. Like, does that, that's like wickedness, right? When we're slaves to wickedness, back in the day, we were free from doing righteous. Like, we don't have to. Just give ourselves heart and soul to debauchery right? Um, and it goes on to say, and by the way, what fruit did you have then of the things which you're now ashamed? Like what good came from the life of that? You know, oh, I got that, got that ink on my lower back. That's just holding up so well, (laughs) you know, starting to like more used to say pretty lady. Now it says pretty sad, you know, it's like, ah, fruit from, you know, oh yeah. 
used to be a bicep that was up and you know, now it's, you know, whatever. You know, the things that we, man, it's the illnesses, the STDs, you know, the, the record that we have on our legal records, you know, um, the divorces and the, the broken homes. Like these are, there's nothing fruitful from this. There's nothing to be proud of in it. Now we're even ashamed of these things. In fact, it even says it's, it's so bad. The end of it is death. That volume one was profitless. It was shameful. It was deathly. And then verse 22 though, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, isn't that such a different thought than the world thinks? Like the world just thinks like I live for myself, self, 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 everything that we're going through right now in our culture, it's just because of selfishness, right? And yet the model of Jesus is laying your lives down for others, serving others and being a servant to someone. You got to serve somebody, right? You might serve the devil or you might serve the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And, uh, and now it's, now we are become slaves to God. That's something to be proud of. That's something to rejoice in. That's something to tell your friends. I mean, I dare you kids to go to school this fall and be like, I'm a slave to Jesus, you know? And just, it'll make people ponder why in the world would anybody want to be a slave to Jesus? Enter in the story of the gospel. And what comes from that is not fruits of unrighteousness that cause things that we would be ashamed in, but fruits to holiness. Holiness on small levels all the way to everlasting life are the benefits of this. Verse 23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So back in the day when we were a slave to uh, sin, uh, in in a sense, and a lot of times that's essentially what slavery was for the most part. There was this level of just, it was kind of the employment, mandatory employment. Um, And the doctors of the day were slaves. You know, it was, it was, you know, it was still a slave level, don't get me wrong, but it, it, it was really the culture and the custom of the entire world. And this is how you worked. You worked as with a master. And, um, and the, the wage that you would get from slavery, well, in Sin's case, the stipend and on your pay stub, it would kind of tally it all up at the end of the day for you. And your pay stub would say death. That was the wage. The payment was death. But when we talk about slavery to the Lord, it's not a wage that we get. It's a gift that we get. It's, it's a present that you get. And what is that present? What is that gift? It's eternal life. If you go back a couple chapters to Romans 4, I think that I might have been teaching this um, when we were in Romans 4. I can't recall, but um, it says Romans 4, 4. To him who works, so if you're just trying to work your way to heaven, Uh, The wage are not counted as grace, but as debt. But him who does not work, but just believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And so we don't want to work for the old master. We don't want to work for the master volume one. It'll end in death and debt. But we work for the new master, which ends in eternal life because of Jesus. The Phillips translation says this, Sin pays its servants, and the wage is death. 
But God gives to those who serve him. His free gift is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And uh, Russell might not be around. Anyone want to pop out there? You want to holler out there? See if Russell's, um, maybe a water balloon toss is happening out there. Who knows? I don't know what's happening, but ready to wrap up. Um, it all kind of started with the question from Romans 6.1, which in the tr- Phillips translation was, now what is our response to be? Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? What a ghastly thought. We who have died to sin, how could we live in sin a moment longer? It's, it's not possible because the old man has died and we're living now in the new volume, volume two. So we can position ourselves this Sunday in a posture of defense, right? Uh, and we can do position ourselves in a posture of worship. Remember what we just read about our members, eyes, ears, mouth, and nose, head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, right? All of these things are instruments of worship. No matter what we do, it's worship to the Lord and not used as sinful implements any longer. So why don't we pray with that closing thought? Uh, Lord, this is kind of deep stuff. I'm so thankful that Paul kind of said, hey, maybe you maybe you had a, a gear jam up in your brain as you're reading this legal document um, to the Romans. But let me put it in layman's terms for you. We, we've been delivered from the old master. We don't have to serve him anymore. There, there's no profit to that. And we get to serve. It's our privilege to serve the new master, a master who's redeemed us and given his own life for us, has shown great love for us, care for us, and a gift of eternal life. And Lord, I pray for every man and woman and child that's part of this church that we would have such a value for what Jesus has done for us, that it would just be the most joyful, pleasing, and pleasant thing in the world to reject sin in the temptational moments and to bow the knee to holiness and righteousness. Lord, we confess that we are weak people. We confess that uh, in, the, in the moment, just so often our flesh just wants to go the other direction. I pray, God, that you would give us divine willpower. Give us willpower, Lord to put the flesh in its place and to put our instruments into places of worship. To God be the glory. 